0: to the Moonshots Podcast. It's Friday, October 27, 2017, and we are at the Almighty Episode 11. I am your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as usual, I'm joined by the man himself, Mr. Chad Owen.
1: Hey there, Mike. Glad to be here today.
0: Hello, New York, all the way from chilly Europe, uh, where we're uh, enjoying the uh, the autumnal weather conditions. We are in for quite a treat today, Chad. How can you get bigger or better than the software pioneer that we're going to decode and understand today?
1: I don't know. I think that everyone knows who Bill Gates is and the company that he founded, Microsoft. I would be hard pressed to find any American, at least, that has not in school or at home or at work, used the the products that, that he created. And, you know, people today across the world who have benefited from his foundation. So, yeah, so, we've got quite the uh, titan of industry here he, he, uh, that we're going to be discussing today.
0: So true. Titan is, is the perfect word. I mean, to think about Bill Gates, I would put it uh, simply as he is really the driving force behind the computer being in every home. He has brought to us and pioneered the idea of an operating system. Um, He truly did revolutionize the world in 1995 when they launched Windows 95. And that really brought to us mainstream operating systems that transform technology through software. And in doing this, he created an enormous company. He became the richest man in the world several years in a row, but to double down on just how how special he is, he has turned around and given most of that wealth to poor, impoverished people to improve health and education for them. It's not really surprising that he's won pretty much every single award of recognition uh, for what he has has achieved, but I don't think we can uh, sing his praises as well as Steve Jobs. So, what do you think, Chad? Shall we let shall we let Steve Jobs say it best?
1: Yeah, there's this fantastic interview on stage at the All Things D conference in 2007, where Walt Mossberg and I forget the woman, um, Cara Swisher. Yes, Cara Swisher have the two of them on stage for over an hour. And they opened asking Steve what, you know, Bill had contributed and asked Bill what Steve had contributed. And and here is actually what Steve Jobs summarized Bill's contribution to the industry as.
2: Well, you know, Bill built the first software company in the industry. And uh, I think he built the first software company before anybody really in our industry knew what a software company was except for these guys. And that was huge. That was really huge. And the business model that they ended up pursuing turned out to be the one that worked really well, you know, for the industry. Mm-hmm. So I think, but the, the, the biggest thing was Bill was really focused on software before almost anybody else had a clue that, that it was really the software. That's, that's what I see. I mean, I, a lot of other things you could say, but that's the high order bit. And I think building a company is really hard. Yeah. And, and it requires, it requires your greatest persuasive abilities to hire the best people you can and keep them, keep them, keep them at your company and keep them working. You know, doing the best work of their lives, hopefully. And uh, Bill's been able to stay with it for all these years.
0: Yeah. So you can hear really what Steve's getting at was the how prescient Bill Gates was. He could see something coming that very few if any other people could see which was that software was going to take over and what's so exciting in this show is we're actually going to unpack the things that he did and how he did them to actually make not only that big bet but how he in fact applied exactly the same thinking to his foundation which is having an amazing impact on reducing disease and improving education i I am just bursting with curiosity and and ideas uh from from Bill. Shall we should we jump into his first clip Chad? Do
1: you feel like we should Well, before we do, I actually want to kind of call out what Steve is calling out about Bill and kind of the genius at the time of the business model of Microsoft because Apple was founded in the 70s when there were dozens of you know, computer hardware manufacturers that were trying to trying to kickstart the PC age, mm. and uh, you know, many of them, uh, most of them, if not all of them, like don't exist today. You know, except for just the select few, um, like IBM, and but even they don't make machines anymore, or, or Apple, mm. and you know, they had all sorts of problems of creating and building their own hardware. You know, actually. You know, cre- you know, Steve Wozniak creating the circuit boards, like soldering the circuit boards that went into their machines and Bill Gates is like, well, what is going to be on these machines mm. and if that is software or, you know, uh, creating BASIC to be able to then write, you know, in in the basic programming language to then be able to write programs on these computers. And he said, well, it does. I don't have to build any factories. It doesn't cost me any money. So it's Mm -hmm. nearly infinitely scalable. And so from day one, Microsoft was profitable because once they had created the software, they could load it on to as many machines as possible. Yes. And, you know, license it in that way. And that's that's really what Steve, I think is talking about when he's talking about you know found the business model that worked. It, he, it's kind of his sly compliment of like yes. well we bet we bet on hardware and like it didn't really work for 20 years, yeah. but Bill bet on software and it worked from day one.
0: <laughs> it's so true. there are all these great companies such as Compaq and uh, HP and Dell that didn't didn't get it right. Uh, They didn't have an iPhone or an iPod to change their world. And so you're right, Steve is, in fact, giving a huge nod to Bill here. What, What was interesting to me is that what Bill did was very similar to the big bets that both Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk made in their respective areas. This is where the three of them are exactly the same, that they are so deeply knowledgeable and understanding of what is happening, that they are able to, for example, in the case of Elon, bet on batteries and electronic vehicles in a way far more determined, far more focused on the inevitability that electric cars and autonomous cars are the future. And that has caught all the other automotive companies out. If you look at what uh, Jeff has done, He is disrupting a universe of retail that has been comfortable for over a hundred years. Everything is being Amazon because they make these big bets, just like uh, Bill Gates did. They make these big bets because they have the right mental models. And once they know they're onto a thing, they will risk everything to make it happen. They are so determined. And that's exactly what Bill Gates did too.
1: Yeah, I'm- I'm I'm really excited to get into the clips that we've found to, to share with the audience today. Why don't you take this first one about, about the way that uh, Bill kind of sees the world?
0: Sure, sure. So one of the themes that has come back really high frequency when we've looked at these amazing innovators is this idea of learning and and learning being a constant factor in everything they do. Let's start by getting into what Bill calls his curiosity, his appetite for knowledge, which is so uh, primary in his success. So here's Bill Gates talking about curiosity.
3: Yeah, I think curiosity, uh, which Warren mentioned, is a an amazing thing where you try and predict what's gonna happen and then uh, when it doesn't, you sort of think, well, uh, you know, that uh, drug didn't get invented, that stock didn't go up, that uh, approach wasn't popular. What's what is it about my model of the world that's wrong? You know, who could I talk to? What could I read? And
0: so, what you what you see there is his appetite to understand, and and how quick he was to turn an idea that perhaps didn't work. His first thing is, who can I talk to? And what can I read to improve my mental model? And he really has this this approach based on, I'll have a hypothesis, I'll go test. And importantly, he wants to learn. He's in this kind of constant state of improving and tweaking his ideas, applying them and getting this feedback. He's almost like rapid prototyping mental models and this really reminded me of how elon musk has these models and he goes in and he applies them and and looks to get feedback and and to learn from them when when you hear his mental model what does it inspire for you chad like where does it take you when you think about curiosity and, and and learning
1: Those are actually the two questions that I ask myself. But except I flip them. I usually ask what What can I read, and then you know who can I seek out to learn more? That's really just been my approach to anything that I want to learn more about. Or or today, you know, it's like go on YouTube or some other kind of educational platform and and Mm. and do some some research and learning there, um, Mm. or, or podcasts. I think he shares that with most of the people that we have covered on this show except I, I think you know people like he and elon and jeff bezos and fred smith are extremely careful about curating the right people around them so that mm. they do have those kind of trusted advisors in very deep domains mm. or with deep domain expertise uh, I think we talk, or we have some clips of, a little bit later. Just the partners that Bill has worked with in his life, I think, have been really important to him because mm. they've been able to satisfy his curiosity and, and really help him him mm-hmm. learn.
0: I think this curiosity and gathering the right information sources, as you'd say, what this really does is shows you how strong this approach is because he's gone. And, you know, had enormous impact in the world of software, but he has had enormous impact in the world of health and education through the foundation. And he readily admits when when you look at the research we did for this show, there is a lot of times he'll talk about he has scientists on demand that he emails with questions. You know, you can't do it in isolation. You have to go out and engage with the world's information. You have to, you know, grab um, that information and process it. I would say just on a personal uh, note, what I find incredibly important is to take those ideas and what and do what Steve's talking uh, about what Bill's talking about is to apply it into the world. And uh, it's really when you apply the ideas and you, then you have those big aha uh-huh moments. Like, oh, that, that, that really worked and um, that really brought the results or maybe you, you need to go back and, and refine it some more.
1: Yeah. And this kind of leads right into our next clip. It, it's Bill would say it's not just enough to surround yourself with the right people and learn it. But if you actually want to do something meaningful, and that's satisfying, that you actually need to to teach it. So there's the learning part, the inputs, and then there's the mm-hmm. outputs of the teaching. And so here, here's him just talking about, I think the question that was asked was, you know, wh- what has been or what is your most satisfying work?
3: Every once in a while, if if something really makes sense and you can uh, teach people about it, share an insight, I think that's also very satisfying. You know, when I sit down with Melinda to write the annual letter, the idea of okay, I've had a chance to see things. What could I share that is really succinct uh, that might be helpful uh, to people that That is fun it's hard uh you know it doesn't happen all the time, but between my learning and being able to share where I see, oh, this is really simpler than I thought it was uh that, that gives me great satisfaction hmm yeah so he, he's saying he's he's most
1: satisfied when he's able to share what what he's learned, which i th- I think is really a just a core value of his i mean it, it's 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 embodied in the foundation that's giving away over $4 billion a year to, like you said, health yeah. and education. It just seems like he's only accumulating the knowledge to then be able to share it.
0: That's right. And, and it reminds me that the, what, what comes to my mind are two thoughts. The first of which is by having to teach something, I think you are forced to know the subject matter better. And it reminds me, do you have this thing, Chad, where if you have to present a concept or something, or some body of work, the act of presenting forces you to come to terms with the, the work even more. And just like writing about your work, perhaps the, the ideas get even clearer. Do you, do you have that when you have to share and teach?
1: Yeah, we we all have our own messy internal, you know, brain organization systems <laughs> that that kind of work most of the time uh, yeah. for us. But mm. it's when you have to transmit it, where it it forces that organization and structure onto the message. Mm-hmm. I mean, the framework that I use is is a storytelling or a story framework. That's mm. kind of my perspective. So yeah, I'm taking all the inputs, I'm organizing it into a story that makes sense. Yes. You know, kind of using this kind of fundamentals of story. And then yeah. it makes it easier to transmit. And in that process, I've now taken these disparate ideas and yes. you know, fit them into an, a nice, concise message.
0: Yeah, and and I, I think that the act of doing that helps you become clearer in your thinking. And, you know, the strangest things happen when you give more than you get. People are drawn to people who are generous and kind and sharing. And, moreover, the opportunity to give away your thinking will present you with new opportunities that you can't even imagine. So I I thought Mm -hmm. this was a powerful reminder for us uh, to think about, how to not only learn to process, but also to become teachers, to mentor, to coach, and to share our ideas, and just give it out to the world and see what the world can do with it, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it was very interesting to me to hear that this teaching was, was Bill's most satisfying work that he did, mm-hmm. you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. He also, um, you know, he has a lot of great approaches to to the way in which he he works. And I know that um, we can also learn a lot from him around that. I think this, did you want to set up this next clip? Because he's got some great thoughts around how you manage and control time, particularly when you're a leader.
1: Yeah. So I just recently read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. It's a great book that you could probably read in a day or less. And the gist of it is that it's very important for us knowledge workers to be able to focus and get deep work done. And he he just calls deep work, you know, the work that is kind of mentally taxing and trying and that you need to have some protected time for. And Bill has this thing that he calls think week, where he essentially just asks everyone he knows, hey, what's the best book you've read in the last year? And he takes a collection of those books. I think it's like 14 or 15, you know, maybe even 20 books and he just goes away and reads them. It's, it's a very important concept to him. So here, here he is really just talking about you know being able to manage and control your time as a CEO. And then this is in an interview with Warren Buffett. And so Warren Buffett is, is the man that kind of chimes in at the very end of the
3: clip. You control your time and that sitting and thinking uh, may be a much higher priority than a normal ceo who you know there's all this demand and you feel like you need to go and see all these people uh... it's not a proxy of your seriousness that you filled every minute in your schedule and people uh, are gonna
2: wanna want your time yeah, the and it's is. the only thing you can't buy i mean i buy anything i want the, 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 basically but i can't buy time uh.
0: Hmm. Can't buy time. That's so true.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's such a Warren Buffettism. Oh, I can buy anything I want, but I can't buy time. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I have to say this deep work idea is incredibly powerful. Um, the crazy thing is, Chad, I recently read Cal's book as well, Deep Work. And then I wrote about it and shared it with a lot of people. And I got so much feedback. Like it, it really created a conversation and I'm, I'm amazed that you've read it at the same time and it intersects with the fact that uh, Bill is famous for, for his deep work approach. And I too found this book deeply, ironically, deeply inspiring um, because it is a practice that I, I believe in and I could only encourage our listeners that even securing one hour every morning to just write out your thoughts, uh, whether it be just a journal or whether you want to sort of move towards writing about what you're passionate about, um, but doing so before you check your emails, doing so before the day starts, so you get up nice and early, get up at six, maybe five, and write with a clear mind. I have found this one of the most rewarding practices of my entire career how did what have you been doing with this deep work idea uh chad what, i mean what's it inspired for you
1: well i i do it for the same reason i'm i'm a morning person as well and for example i got here into my co-working space at 6 6 30 and no one is here there's no one to bother me uh it's nice and quiet so, I mean, this particular morning, I was preparing for the show, but my practice actually has been starting to write again. Nice. I've picked up a screenplay. I've picked up a novel. Uh, I'm debating whether I want to do National Novel Writing Month in November. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it's a great time for me to either put my earplugs in and totally tune out the world, or I can you know put on some music and do something before you know, anyone bothers me. And, you know, there's a little bit of a sacrifice in having to go to bed a little bit early and drag myself out of bed uh, (laughs) in the morning. But, um, you know, the nature of most of our work today, yours and mine and the listeners and and most everyone's work today uh, is just filled with lots of small, urgent tasks that kind of, you know, take us from one thing to another. And it's hard for us (laughs) to be able to focus Anyone that's interested in this idea of deep work, I would actually encourage you to read an article by Paul Graham called Maker's Schedule, Manager's Schedule. And the idea is is, is much more expounded upon in, in Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. But yeah, it's the simple idea that if you're a maker of any kind, uh, you know, a programmer, a designer, a, a writer... That there is a big difference between a maker's schedule and a manager's schedule, and so we'll uh, we'll be sure to to link both to the book uh, Deep Work and the and the article by by Paul Graham. But I, I suggest the article if you want kind of a, qu- a quicker primer on this idea.
0: Yeah, and I mentioned in the last show, getting a book summary service such as uh, Instaread. I would encourage you guys to do because that was how I um, how I got into. Uh, the book, it it was on Insta read and I got like a 15 minute summary and I was like, oh my gosh, we'll have all of those links and more at moonshots.io. But what's so fantastic about Bill Gates is he is very, uh, very much surrounded by good people and none of them better than his wife, Melinda, who's played an amazing role in the foundation. So let's swing over now to listen to Bill Gates talking about the importance of partners.
3: At Microsoft, I had two partners who were amazing. I had Paul right, Allen right. in the early days, and then Steve Ballmers, the company got bigger. And we would not have achieved anything what we did without those partnerships. Cause you know, when things are tough, when you're making big decisions, having somebody who's really in there with you committed uh, you know, for me, I I couldn't have done without that. For the foundation, Melinda's an amazing partner. Uh, she thinks about the people issues better than I do. She you know knows when I get overexcited about the science. She can uh, you know make sure we're we're being realistic about it, and it makes it fun. You know, we, last week uh, I went to Europe to. World Economic Forum, she went to Nigeria, and then this weekend we just sat and talked about, okay, what did we see? What does that say about the work we should do? Uh, And so, you know, I don't think I'd enjoy it without a partner, and particularly someone amazing like her.
0: Did you you catch that lifestyle moment? Yeah, I flew to the World Economic Forum, and my wife flew to Nigeria, and then we kind of caught up, and we talked about what we'd
1: learned. Does that
0: we just ch- yeah, sounds- we chatted about
1: our weeks on the weekend. And- can you imagine? Well, I, I am just so glad to see that they're giving away over $4 billion a year. So, you know, we yeah. can kind of make fun of that privilege all we want, but they, they truly are the, the leading foundation, I, I think, in terms of both just the amount of giving and the impact that, that they're having.
0: Yeah, and I really like this idea of being so quick. He was so quick to recognise where she's superior to him, which shows the this humility that we, we see is so important in leaders is to not only recognise that it's a team effort, uh, but also to recognise that they don't have all of the weapons. And I think one of my big learnings is... in 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 my career has been that you cannot be superman and i think it's a big reminder to us surround yourself in all facets of your life with great people people that you can learn from uh, people that can inspire you to raise your game i think that's so important
1: yeah well i think that's embodied in what you and i have done here on the podcast you know i think you Reached out to me and said, "Hey, does this sound interesting to you? I'm thinking about about starting this this new thing." And I was like, "Well, oh, hell yeah! You know, I want to do it." And I think uh, the support that we've been able to give each other has really made this what it is. And so I think you know what people can take away is for anything that you're starting, whether that's a new project at work, or a new company, or a new product, whatever it is just be sure to go out and, and, and test it with other people. And what you may find is that you'll, you'll find a partner. And I think you know, that's, yeah. that's how Steve Jobs found Steve Wozniak. That's how Bill Gates found Paul Allen and later Steve Ballmer, is that by sharing your ideas, you can actually recruit those partners that are going to be the complementary help that you need to actually scale what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that it's on
0: retrospect. I look at all of the, the best things that I've done in life, and it's always as a team. It has never been a singular endeavor that has shone as brightly as those that have been team efforts. And uh, I think for anyone who's about to embark on a new adventure, an entrepreneurial adventure, or, or really any type, I, I think we'd both encourage them to search out a partner, a co-founder, a co-conspirator, if you will. You It offers you so much, I think, uh, accountability, having someone who really knows what's going on, who can make you accountable. I think this is truly important. Someone who you can confess your greatest worries to, to share the load. Oh, my gosh. I mean, what else? <laughs> There's a whole list of benefits to having having a partner in crime. What for you, Chad, really brings the importance of a, of a partner when we're going on these
1: moonshots? What real value does it create for you having a partner? I think it's it's two things. It's having someone that has a literal different perspective, you know, a different upbringing, worldview, personality, so they can kind of see around the corners and the blind spots that you yourself may not be aware of. And someone that has, you know, complementary strengths, not necessarily someone that like negates my weaknesses, but just someone that has a a different set of strengths, Mm. so that we can kind of both, you know, really crush it and and, in those particular areas. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there's, look, there's so much more to go with Bill Gates.
1: But before we go any further, Mike, you told me a really great story before the show, we've gotten some some feedback from a certain thirteen-year-old I've heard.
0: Oh yes, oh yes. Okay, so so uh, we love it when folks email us, contact us on social media, and, and send us feedback uh, about the show. And uh, probably some of the most inspiring feedback we got was a note that I received from uh, Ryan McGovern, who is an entrepreneur. He's a moonshotter. He's created a a security uh, cloud-based technology company that enables businesses to virtually manage all of their security needs. It's quite a cutting-edge business. But what's really interesting is not only does he listen to the show, um, but his 13-year-old son also listens to the show. And young Connor is really inspired about space. So he loved our Elon Musk show. And uh, we were debating on air on the show. We were thinking to ourselves, oh, is it, have we got too many clips? And he's he's informed us uh, that, in fact, we don't need to cut the clips. He'd like a lot more clips. And as a 13-year-old, he's deeply inspired about space. He's ready to go on his own moonshot. So, Connor, thanks for the feedback. We really appreciate it. I promise you, not only will we play more clips on the show i think we've made an editorial decision chad is that correct more clips per show
1: yeah yeah i think mike and i are gonna broaden our search for the best nuggets of wisdom so yeah i think you can expect more clips from us in future shows connor
0: yeah more more clips connor and what what i'll even do is i will dig up uh, not only the clips that we did play uh, but f- just for you, Connor, I'll make a blog post and I'll post all the clips that we liked, some of which didn't get onto the show. And I'll send them off to your dad and you can both enjoy uh, listening to a complete series of
1: Elon clips. Actually, Connor, I think your, your call for more clips has inspired me for this idea of like an uncut uh, you know, version where we just send or or put on the on the website all of the clips that were pulled because sometimes Mike and I have I don't know almost twenty clips uh, that we have yeah. pulled. Um, or even, I'm even envisioning like a little soundboard where you just have all the clips from all the different uh, all the different yeah. moonshotters on the website. So yeah. uh, thank you so much for your your feedback, Connor, and anyone else yeah. that yeah. Uh, you know wants to share. Uh, something that you liked about the show or or some feedback for us and how we could give you, the listener, uh, even more information and value, please go to moonshots.io and uh, and share your feedback with us.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So um, now we've got a whole new universe of ideas from, from Bill Gates. And let's get straight in there. The, this next clip is Bill really sharing his point of view not only on where passion and motivation comes from but how he thought about risk particularly with microsoft so here's bill gates talking about risk and passion
3: you know i think it's great to be risk taking uh particularly when you're young trying out different things fields that you know aren't very popular that you might enjoy but i never got into a position where i i was taking a, a Actually, in any meaningful sense, I was taking a big risk. I mean, the risk for you would not to have acted because you felt the train was leaving the station. Yeah, and it was so clear uh, that, you know, this was going to happen. And this was so much fun. I mean, you know, I was a fanatic. I didn't believe in weekends. I didn't believe in vacation. Uh, My mom had to negotiate whether I'd come once a week for dinner.
0: Can you just imagine, you know, Mrs. Gates, enforcing on poor young bill now you need to come you need to come home have a square meal eat some food be with your family it's just so perfect isn't it
1: yeah but i love his thoughts on on risk and the way he sees it is like well actually the riskiest thing to do was would be would have been to not act you know to to not Mm. start the company to not uh Mm. leave harvard after three years and start the company, even though, you know, he had, I don't know, like eight hours of credits left. That was actually, you know, the risk of not doing it was actually what, what kind of pushed him out the door to found the company.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think that one of the reasons that if you think he had this low perception of risk it came from insight and it came from understanding, which, you know, earlier we, we mentioned how he gets that through um, creating that time and space uh, to go off into the woods, as you'd say, and have his little retreat. But it's also that curiosity model and that testing and learning and applying those models. That's that's why he could see it with such certainty. And even Steve Jobs couldn't see it because he chose a different model. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot to learn there. And I, I, I take for myself here, like, if you're going to go for a new company, a new product, a new service... You you really want to have a conviction that is so compelling that there is a problem and you know a path or at least a possible solution to that, that it gives you this huge wave of commitment and, and certainty in, in, in it. And I think that that's like a mental check that you should have. It's, it's not only curiosity, is it, Chad? I, I, I think what Bill has is... A very special recipe that he shares with us uh, in this coming clip. So, do you want to set up kind of this mental model that he has um, that really unlocks these opportunities?
1: Yeah. the The reason Bill went to Harvard uh, initially was for mathematics. I think he says, you know, that he got there with eighty other students and realized that. You know, 79 of them would be frauds because only one could be the best (laughs) mathematician there. And so he kind of changed his studies to be applied math, which actually was like a sneaky way for him to get enrolled in any classes that he wants because he could say, oh, I'm applying mathematics to economics so I can take this class or whatnot. But this is unique to Bill as opposed to all the other people we've profiled. I think because he comes from that analytical mathematical background, that deeply informs the way he goes about not only doing his work, but measuring the impact of his work. So here he is talking about crunching the numbers.
3: I think the the quality that uh, has helped me in lots of things uh, is a kind of measurement scientific framework where I go in and say, did anybody handle this well? What are the very best practices? Uh, do we have numbers on that? And let's get everybody measuring what they're doing and so they can strive to match what that the best achievement is. Uh, for us, often that's something like getting the vaccines out to all the children. Some very poor countries uh, do that extremely well because they get down to that local level and measure the activity. They make sure the inventory's there, they make sure the workers are showing up. So for me, I always uh, look at how can we do better, better measurement and use that to drive uh, the very best practices.
0: Yeah, this in, in this clip, Chad, it, it to me is all about that that motto you get what you, you measure. Boy, I don't know. I, I probably don't do enough measuring by the, by the numbers. Do you feel, Chad, as a storyteller, I mean, how would you use this idea in your practice?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's not natural, uh, I think, to me. Well, one thing that's been helpful is to not get overwhelmed by the number. Like, I don't know if I could tell you what my KPI is, you know, like for... <laughs> uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. to use some uh some jargon here but i see it in the lens so he's bill is thinking okay are the vaccines reaching the kids who need it for me i think it's more of like a, a habit tracking activity that's been most affected to me so uh-huh. it's like did i do this thing today and and you know uh-huh. did i do it yesterday and the day before and the day before you know to build the habit so the the things uh-huh. um it's like you know, did I read, did I do some like deep reading, you know, in a book on a, on a subject? Did I do some writing, uh, for myself, for my creative pursuits? And did I exercise those sorts of things? That kind of tracking has actually been really helpful and useful to me. So th- that's kind of how I have implemented this idea of, of, mm. of measuring, um, mm. you know, I don't, I don't necessarily measure the output. It's just, did I do it? That's, that's been quite effective for me in the past, past few months.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think what's really challenging in terms of this sort of thinking is we often, how would I describe this? The power of numbers is to make things more black and white, to create more clarity. And I think what's always been a recurring pattern to me is you have an assumption based on what you observe, but it can often be challenged once you look at the numbers Mm. behind things. One small little tip I can give listeners, and it's not always something that I'm good at doing, but when I do it, oh my gosh, it's so helpful, is um, really writing down in my agenda how I spend my time. And sometimes it really brutally reminds me that I massively underestimate some time requirements for things, or I find myself observing, well, I really didn't write enough that week, or I spent a lot of time helping a client, that's great, or I didn't spend enough time helping a client. And then that's really, for me, the power of measuring. And I think there's a lot of truth to you, you get what you measure. And if you can't measure something, how are you going to manage it? You know, it becomes a lot more abstract in discussions in the workplace, right? Mm.
1: Yeah. Again, I, I think for me, it's like measuring the binary, yes or no, did this thing happen? And then once you kind of get that down, then you can kind of dig into the numbers. Um, yeah, of, yeah, that's true. Because you know, m- if you say, well, I'm going to write 5,000 words this week, to me, that's not helpful. But it's like, did I sit down today and write? You know, let's say like a mm-hmm. minimum threshold of 500 words, Th- that is actually kind of more helpful. And it's like a smaller piece of work t- in order for me to get it done.
0: Yes. And I think the thing we should remind ourselves and our listeners about is that it's really interesting to ask, are you measuring your work enough? Because this approach that he has taken has not only led to obviously the success of Microsoft, but I think it's important to stress to our listeners how successful the foundation has been in reducing disease and improving education. So, in this next clip, What we're going to see is that Bill has actually used, for the most part, the same approach to building and managing Microsoft as he has done in the foundation. So, so let's get into that and let's listen to Bill Gates talking about his approach to both ventures.
3: I think when you're young, the very hands-on stuff where you're writing the code yourself and You've just got to prove, you know, do I understand this? Can I, I get this done? I think that's just phenomenal. Uh, so I was very lucky to, to have that experience. Then, as Microsoft got larger, my role was more indirect uh, in terms of picking teams, backing teams, picking general directions. And so, my role when I, I left my full time work at Microsoft, and what I'm doing now at the foundation is very similar. Now, the domains, I have to understand vaccines and northern Nigeria dysfunction. Uh, so the problems, the specifics on the problems are, are different. And that's let me broaden the kind of science exposure that, that I get, uh, which I've enjoyed. But it's pretty darn similar to my, what I was doing in my 40s at Microsoft, what I'm doing in, in the foundation now.
1: This second act that Bill has had uh, with the foundation is really, really interesting to t- to me, and and he's really just begun it, you know, in the last five or s- seven years, I think, full time.
0: Mm. You would you would have to say that there's probably a whole job for us to do to understand Bill and Elon Musk's approach, because they've been able to have success in different things using the same approach. I'm trying to think of others that have had more than one hit. Does, does any come to mind that have been able to,
1: to do this twice? I'm sure if we go back into history, we can find a few. I might have to uh, pose that question to Gary, the guest we had on the uh, Fred Smith show. Oh, Yes
0: yes and he would be fantastic to to perhaps do a special edition maybe an elon revisit and then dimensionalize elon in a different way that could be really exciting yeah
1: it's fascinating i hadn't really drawn that comparison but elon with spacex well x that became paypal and then uh was sold and then spacex and tesla and the boring company are all or have done really well not quite to the level of Microsoft's success and in the, in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's success, but um, mm-hmm. most of the other people we have profiled have gone all in on, the, on their one thing and, and become massively successful mm-hmm. at that.
3: Mm-hmm. But
1: in terms of kind of serializing it, yeah, I don't – I can't think of any uh, – listeners I if, got one. I oh, okay got one. well i i, I, I want to ask one. the listeners too uh if you can think of something because okay. i think they would be fascinating people for us to profile on the show
0: absolutely I, I, but um i have to admit i am cheating i'm googling while we discuss <laughs> but richard branson uh,
1: okay richard branson uh, yes of course yeah of course and he he's, yeah. he's been on our list uh maybe we should bump him up uh, higher onto the list
0: yeah i think you might be onto something there um yeah, he's definitely- Jack Dorsey is another one. Mm. Got to give it to him, you know, Twitter and Square, you know. Um, would you argue that Mark Andreessen, he did Netscape plus his venture firm? Yep. But I, 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 I think, you know, in terms of realized success, you have to say Bill is number one with the huge success of the foundation and Microsoft. Even Elon has yet to realize that, that sort of scale.
1: Yeah, I think I think Bill's pivot or, or second act has been kind of the most different out of probably all the examples. I mean, I don't think you could get much different than you know operating <laughs> systems and software company to improving the lives of millions of of, of impoverished children um, or you know improving education. So I, I think that's yeah. pretty pretty singular in that way. But if anyone mm. knows of anyone. Uh, out there, please send them our way, and we will will add them to our list of, of people to profile. So now we've we've got Richard and Mark, uh, Jack on the list. I think they mm-hmm. were all already on our list, but maybe we'll have to to bump them up a little bit.
0: I like it. I like it. So I mean, we've got one more clip, and uh, this is the last of of the Bill Gates uh, wisdom for us today. And it's a very appropriate one. It's really positioning his, his work more in his life and his legacy and what it means. So let's all, for, for the last time on this show, let's listen to Bill Gates as he talks about his life's work.
3: Well, the most important work I got a chance to be involved in, uh, no matter what I do, is the personal computer. You know, that's what I grew up in you know, my teens, my 20s, my 30s. Uh, you know, I even knew not to get married because I was so, until later, because I was so obsessed with it. That's my life's work. And I, it's lucky for me that some of the skil, skills and resources, uh, but I put skills first, that I, I was able to develop through those experiences can be applied uh, to the benefit of, uh, the, the people who haven't had technology, including uh, medicine, working for them. So it's an incredible blessing to have two things like that. But the thing that all, you know, my, if you look inside my brain, it's filled with software and, you know, <laughs> the magic of software and a belief in software. Uh, and, you know, that, that's not going to change.
1: Once a software man, always a software man.
0: I was going to
3: say he's like
0: a walking artificial intelligence. The software is working. Really interesting. When when you sit back, uh, maybe some of our listeners do not remember the era in which uh, there was not a PC on every desk. Which was his actual vision, as he stated it. He he saw a a computer in every home. I I chat. I remember getting my first intel 486 enhanced processor computer and it was like a life-changing event
1: i yeah i had so many computers my family's first was actually a, a portable macintosh i can't remember exactly the model but it was like the gray box you know with the gray and white
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh mm-hmm. GUI interface i really enjoyed i i enjoyed him summarizing himself as a software Man, I, I mean, I think that is a great embodiment of the way he sees the world. He he sees technologies as kind of vessels for his software or his software thinking. So he is seeing the foundation and all the resources of the foundation as like a means for him to put his kind of software level thinking, operating system level thinking and kind of activate that hard, you know, hardware, if you mm. will. Um, <clears throat> and I think if you look at everything that he's done, that's really true. Whereas someone like Steve Jobs was building the platform. Bill was kind of putting the things on it to run it. Now, I mean, Apple's since changed. You know, they have the whole Apple Store and or the, the App Store and and everything. So they 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 got wise to software. Um, but Bill was a software guy from the very beginning.
0: Yeah, he, he really was. And it was like the software got value out of the hardware. What's really exciting when we think about the future, there's a lot of emerging evidence to think that the next chapter after the personal computer, after the software, is going to be the data and what we do with the data. So we could almost do a series uh, of shows just- touching on that, but I, but I really personally take from this personal computer era was the transformation it made in my life was nothing short of breathtaking and particularly because the PC era was the precursor to the internet and certainly f- discovering the internet way back in 1996 has changed my life forever. And, um, I, I really feel that the work that Bill Gates did to open up the universe of personal computing and the productivity that came from that. And then when the internet came, the connection that we all enjoy from that. And, and obviously the, the smartphone has taken so many of the best features of not only the hardware, but the software that he inspired. It truly is. I mean, in reflection, I mean, it's going to be up there with all-time greatest inventors and innovators don't you think Chad?
1: Yeah, he's in the pantheon for sure. Like he's he's already yeah. there, you know. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know yeah. f- a few of the people that we've talked about are are kind of like climbing Mount Olympus if you will. Uh, he's <laughs> certainly already established himself himself pretty firmly there. Yes. Yeah. And I I'm of the generation where I always had a computer and I was probably you know One of the I'm probably one of the oldest uh, millennials, if you will, um, you know who, who who always had a computer in the home, which was only enabled, you know, by visionaries like Steve and and Bill. And it's some it's something that I take for granted every day. I think we all do with you know the power we have in our pockets today. So for me, this was actually really nice to go back and reflect and understand that you know this started back in the '70s. And it was a hard-fought mm-hmm. battle on the parts of, of people like Bill Gates to make that, that vision happen, to put the computer on every desk in every home, you know, in every classroom. Yes,
0: yes. It, it truly, truly was. My, my real takeaway, other than the impact that he had with the personal computer and with Microsoft, is how um, his approach that he did to do that was ready to be applied to a completely different field uh, in, uh, you know, improving the health and education of impoverished people. What's so inspiring about that is that everything we are doing at work can not only have positive impact at work, but we can take those lessons, those learnings, those approaches and apply them in other areas. And so, this is why being a student of, of, of Bill Gates and understanding him is so important because he's had the ultimate validation. He, he's not just a one-hit wonder. He did it twice to enormous scale, to enormous effect.
1: Mm. And he was able to look at his work and find out what was working best, You know, th- going back to kind of the numbers and how he really looks to understand what's working. And then he takes that learning. He's not applying everything that he learned at Microsoft to the foundation. He's only taking the best of what he learned there and applying that approach to the foundation. So that is actually, I think what made it successful and so translatable into an entirely different uh, work.
0: Yeah. So I, I think, you know, as we, as we, consolidate our thinking about him. Uh, It's obviously his curiosity and his always, always learning approach really set him up for great success. And the fact that he was able to take a very black and white, almost quantitative approach to the world and apply it into a non-profit, into a foundation for the benefit of others. I mean, he gives $4 billion a year to the foundation, and he has uh, had enormous impact reducing, I believe it's over 6 million people less per year die from polio, largely due to the Gates Foundation's efforts. And he said that he expects to get it down sub 1 million a year in his lifetime. So enormous impact. And, um, you know, He's a little, he's a little geeky and sometimes hard to, hard to warm to. But actually, when you when you look at the body of work, I think it it more than earns our respect of Mr. Bill Gates, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm curious about going and finding some other sources. I mean, I I would love to learn more about him, especially kind of in his Microsoft days when he was when he was active and running uh microsoft so Mm. i'm i'm gonna continue like all Mm. of our subjects i'm gonna continue to build my Mm. my book list and list of articles that i need to read uh to learn even more Mm.
0: that's that's really true so before we sign off I, i feel like i need to check with you i feel like we already have the 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 topic for the next few shows this serial entrepreneurs and how they do it it feels like we've been gifted uh through bill Uh, is this where you're heading
1: chad yeah yeah i i don't see why we shouldn't do maybe sir richard branson next
0: love it love it love it love it and we have to credit young connor for his advice uh we're going to go for more clips we'll also uh post some bonus ones on the blog so head off to moonshots.io. So uh, Connor, if you're listening, when you're on the bus on the way to high school, uh, make sure you check out the website as well. Uh, we'll have lots of extra clips. So that's that's a wrap for our show on Bill Gates. Deeply satisfying for me. How about you, Chad?
1: Oh, I, you know, as uh, as Bill said, you know, it... it it's great to have uh, partners in crime and what you're doing, and uh, you know I've loved I love doing all of these shows with you, Mike. So I just want to give you a little a little shout out there and say thanks for uh, thanks for helping get you know moonshots off the ground and uh, make it what it what it is today. You know, eleven episodes. That's uh, that's that's pretty great.
0: That's awesome. Thank you, and thank you to you too and all the work that you do on producing. Uh, and uh, fixing all of the all of that great audio content and packaging it together and refining it and publishing it for us—it's uh, just fantastic. I'm I'm electrified at the thought of doing Branson because he's done so many things, you know, from music to airlines and everything in between. I can't wait to get into that. So I'm, I'm fired up and ready to go. And I, I want to encourage all of our listeners to tell us who they'd like us to cover uh, give us feedback on the show. We appreciate it. We get feedback from all four corners of the globe. It's very inspiring and it means a lot to yeah. us. So thank you. Thank you to, to everyone that's giving, giving feedback.
1: Well, with that, Mike, I think, uh, I think we're signing off. Thanks for, Thanks for all the, the great clips you pulled uh, on Bill. And I, I look forward to, to learning more about Richard Branson. I've already got a few books uh, that I'm going to probably start reading this afternoon.
0: Nice, nice. Well, enjoy the days that unfolds there in in New York. Apart from reading about Branson, do you have any other plans? I mean, it's it's not even 9 o'clock in New York, so you've got a whole day ahead of you. What's, what's
1: the plan? Oh, uh, fr- Fridays is usually kind of my, uh, uh, I call it my artist's time. Uh, so I might go see a movie. I might do a little bit more writing. I'm not, I'm not so sure how I'm going to spend the rest of the day, but uh, hopefully no, no client fires to put out uh, as I check my email for the first time today. Very good. Yes. Well, I, I still have uh, a couple of calls uh,
0: to make and one piece of writing that I need to ship. And if I can get all of that done, I think I might enjoy a nice glass of wine as I unwind uh, here in sunny Bucharest and get ready for another week of European touring. So looking forward to our Richard Branson show. I really, uh, really appreciate this opportunity too, Chad. So thank you. Thank you to all our listeners from us here at the Moonshots podcast. We say goodbye and we'll see you at the next show. Goodbye and have a wonderful, wonderful time thinking about how to use numbers and curiosity to unlock all the hidden potential in the world. That's it from the Moonshot Podcast. See you next time.